Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucette, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette, and as we do every week on the show, another brand new guest telling their martial arts story. This week's guest is someone I've known for almost 30 years. I, I think I met him in uh, 1993. I actually trained at his gym for a summer when I was home for college. Uh, this gentleman is a seventh degree black belt with over 40 years of experience in uh, the Korean art of Taekwondo. He's also an author, has released a couple different books. He's world renowned with the kettlebell and he also founded the flexible steel system. So really excited to talk to this gentleman who I've known for a long time. Please welcome to the show, uh, master instructor, John Ingham, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. It's good to talk to you, Brian. It's been a while, and I'm excited for the interview. Yeah, I know. We've been we've been uh, kind of playing, uh, not really phone tag, I guess, email tag, and trying to get this set up for about five months now, and I'm glad we, you're, you're a busy man, which we'll get into in, in a bit, too, and uh, I'm glad we were finally able to make this work. So, but uh, Well, thank you. Thank you for your patience. <laughs> oh, my pleasure. I've been looking forward to this one. So, so as, as I do with all my guests, we kind of go back to the beginning, and I just want to know how, how you got your start where did your first interest in martial arts come from and kind of what led to you taking that first step well you know every kid that i grew up with watched the television show the old television show um kung fu with david carradine mm-hmm. do you remember that oh yeah love that show okay so that that really impressed me and being from northern minnesota there wasn't very many opportunities to do martial arts in the the town i'm in had a branch school of grandmaster mu young yun's and so I started there and um, really I got my start from, from watching that television show. And then once I got a taste for it, you know, it's, it's, it's addicting. It's just, it's awesome to do martial arts and it doesn't matter what style it is. It's just that, that the movement, the, the power the grace, the artistic expression, all the tradition that goes with traditional martial arts, you know, it's the whole package. So I really kind of found my, my niche in life okay what age were you when you first started and it kind of talk about that very first class and what was it about that first class that made you think i'm going to come back and try it again well the gym smelled awful i can remember that for <laughs> sure you know it was just a, a a little old storefront with some carpeting on it and the carpet had probably been there for i don't know 20 years or so it's the original carpet in the building and it smelled i mean it was awful it smelled like sweat it smelled like you know all kinds of bodily fluids <laughs> but um you know, I, I, I fell in love with it. It was it was that kind of eye of the tiger kind of gym. There's nothing fancy about it, but the instruction was good. And everybody was um oh, I don't want to say yeah, everybody was very supportive, but it was it was different than it is nowadays. Like mm-hmm. before before when you went to a martial arts school, it was mainly adults, you know, a, adult men in their um twenties, early thirties. 
And the children's class was just one or two of us that happened to be able to get into the adult class. Now it's kind of flip-flopped, you know, there's a good mix of adults and kids together. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the first kick I threw, I was, you know, I was hooked. <laughs> nice. So then obviously with Taekwondo, it's, it's, it's really, it's traditional Taekwondo, obviously from Grandmaster Yun, but it's also sport orientated also. So what, when did you get that first taste of competition? Cause I know when I first met you in the summer of 93, I know you were really well known on the tournament circuit and competing. And I, I'm, I'm trying to remember, I think you were a second degree when I trained with you. Cause I actually remember, I think I was at your third degree test, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Well, your memory is better than mine. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. You're probably right. Um, I love competing. I really love competing. That was kind of my, my thing, you know, and fast forward to today. And now I'm traveling the world, working with all kinds of different people, teaching them how to actually program and design and, and schedule actually scientific training protocols. Okay. We, we had none of that back then. Right. You know, there was no, I don't even think we considered ourselves athletes. We were fighters and the two things just were night and day you know our our training cycle if you would mm -hmm. there was no science to it at all it was monday was hard day tuesday was harder day <laughs> wednesday was damn hard day thursday was effing hard day <laughs> friday you'd travel to a tournament fight on saturday and sunday try to heal up you know for for monday which was hard day again nice so kind of like kind of like a rodeo cowboy, you know, oh, yeah. you okay. go from rodeo to rodeo to rodeo chasing the adventure. So do you remember your very first competition and what belt you were? I was a white belt and it was in um, Minneapolis and it was at uh, one of Byung-Yul Lee's tournaments. Okay. And it was a big tournament. I actually got first place in my division. So that's got me hooked. Nothing like winning your first tournament right off the bat, you know? Right. Now, back then, did you compete in just sparring or were you were you into formed weapons, breaking or just sparring? I don't remember doing forms. I know it was the, the competition I'm thinking of was sparring. I okay. very well may have done forms in, but I can't remember to tell you the truth. So sparring was where it was at. Okay. And then at what point did you start thinking about teaching? What made you want to, because obviously you've dedicated your life to this and you run your own school and whatnot. So what, you know, what made that come about and when was your first experience with that? Actually, I started training um, my wife okay. in martial arts, just, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. And she's the one that really pushed me into actually opening a gym and, and pursuing it because she saw the gift there. She saw I motivated her and, um, yeah. Yeah. It was, she, she went down to Brainerd with me and helped me search for the building. She wrote the business plan, you know, everything. So she's been a, a huge driving force in this. So when you find someone that believes in you, you know, you kind of, you kind of have to live up to that. Right. And I know remembering you, like, like I said, I only trained with you for the one summer when I was home from college. And I, I do remember you, you were one that one of the few instructors I trained with that liked to blend in some other stuff. I remember correctly. I don't remember the name, but we had a student who I believe was a, green belt in taekwondo but he was a brown belt in judo and like once a week yeah. you'd have him teach us judo stuff of course where did that kind of come from because i know um, I've, I've, I've other instructors i know i've worked i've trained with that and some that you probably know that you know didn't like people who trained in other styles and wanted you to only do taekwondo so it, where did that kind of openness come from with you that's really short-sighted and it's unfortunate you know because mm -hmm. you're not i don't care who you are you can't be the master at everything and no matter what how, what rank you attain you should strive to be a constant student and i don't care what it is you can find good points in in learning uh, learning examples from any art out there any sport any any discipline and you just need to be open minded about it that's how you're going to be you know a well-rounded 
person, a well-rounded fighter, a well-rounded martial artist. You know, if you Taekwondo is awesome at kicking and punching, mm-hmm. but you know, judo is awesome at throws. Jiu-jitsu is awesome at groundwork. Self-defense, it's pretty hard to find a better system than like the KMG guys. Those those guys are awesome. Yep. The Krav Maga Global, you know, so I, I can't imagine thinking that I know everything and there's nothing I can learn from anyone. I mean, that's just fooling yourself. So I've always been open-minded to, to stuff and I've always looked for, you know, to add and incorporate things that work good and give yourself a nice, well-rounded martial arts experience. Nice. So now thinking back to, like you said, you uh, over 40 years and kind of when you started in, was it early eighties probably? So as far as when you first started teaching to now, how has your teaching style changed? Do you think obviously like said, you know, you hear the, not really the, the, the war stories of some of the hardcore trainings in the seventies and eighties and whatnot. So what, what do you think's the most things that have changed over the last 40 years when you've been teaching? You know, I'm smarter. I, I, my training is smarter anyways. Like I said, we had no, no idea of really what a, what a intelligent training cycle should be like and how to wave the load, how to use specialized variety in your training. And I learned a lot of that stuff through, through my mentor, Pavel Satsalin. And he's the guy that introduced kettlebells to the Western world. I mean, just an incredible guy. Okay. And so incorporating everything I've learned from him and all these other places that I've been to and the people that I've worked with. And again, I just take what, what's good, what's working for them and try to systemize it. So So way smarter, way more efficient, way, um, just way better, you know? So do you incorporate kettlebells into your Taekwondo classes? We incorporate strength training and we use, we use uh, body weight, we use barbell and we use kettlebell. You bet. Okay. Now, one thing I remember that uh, before I did, came to your first class, I was warned by a few people, oh, you don't want to go to his gym. He's one of the, he, he, he runs the toughest workouts in this area. And I'm, so are, are you still kind of known for that? I, I do remember one class that I was in, we were doing sit-ups as you were teaching the class to count to a hundred in Korean. And if I remember this night, no one could get past, or not at least not no one, but majority of the class could not get past like 30 or 40. So you kept having a start over. I think we ended up doing 375 sit-ups that night, if I remember correctly. So do you still do fun stuff like that? Every once in a while, you need to, you know, push the envelope. Of course, yep. you can't do that every day. Yeah. If you try to set a personal record every day, you're just going to burn out. But every once in a while, there needs to be some character development there. And Boy, 2020 has given us a lot of chance to develop our character, let me tell you. <laughs> exactly. Nice, nice. As I mentioned in the beginning, too, you're, you're, you're not, you've written books, you've released some DVDs and stuff. Kind of just talk talk a little bit about, you know, first of all, which came first with you, the, the kettlebell or the flexible steel? Okay, so a little background. We've talked okay. about my competitive history. Yes. And I had been trying to do the splits since I started martial arts, you know, since I was seven or eight years old. Mm-hmm. And... You, you go and compete, and like I said, we had no idea how to design an intelligent training program or protocol. Right. And so I likened it to being a cowboy going from one rodeo to the next. And win, lose, or draw, you're beating up your body and putting a lot of high mileage on. And what I found was I was getting less and less flexible, not being able to move as well. And I'd have new students coming into the gym to train with the, the professional, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. 
And some of them were able to naturally just display more flexibility than the, the expert here. And so I wasn't happy with that at all. And I made it my, one day I just had enough. I made it my goal to go out and, and find the secret, discover the street secret to being flexible. And so being I didn't have a regular job, I ran a martial arts school. Mm-hmm. I had time and I was in charge of my schedule. I could go all over the place and search out flexibility experts or stretching gurus or, you know, anyone I could find that might have one or two little, little um, gems of knowledge that would help me. And I've always been a firm believer. If you go to a workshop or a seminar and you travel and you pay for this, as long as you can find one or two take home things from that, it was well worth the time and the money to go to it. Right. And I've seldom been disappointed because you can usually find one or two gems in, in all kinds of stuff. So I made that my, my mission to become more flexible and to discover the, the secrets of flexibility, if you were. And mm-hmm. I, I studied it for probably three years, going to everywhere I could think of and training with everybody I could possibly, you know, have take me on. And what I discovered is most of the stretching world is full of charlatans. Mm-hmm. I'll do this or do that for, you know, six months and you're going to gain a half an inch on your splits or this is going to be a little easier. And yeah, you have to be patient to become flexible, but I wasn't that patient. I wanted some instant results. So one day a magazine showed up in the mailbox and I believe it was called Vitalics. And Vitalics was a Dragon Door publication and it was advertising. It had this crazy looking Russian guy in there. And what he was saying that you could do if you came to one of his events was just incredible. It was too good to be true. Do this and do that and you'll have the full splits instantly. (laughs) Do this and do that. You're going to double your grip strength, you know, and it's like, okay, this is marketing. But, you know, as long as I can find one or two things out of this, it might be worth doing. And it was close by. At the time, Pavel had immigrated from the uh, former Soviet Union. He was living in um, St. Paul. So I went to this stretching seminar he was having. Fully, you know, prepared to just learn one or two things, and the, it was overpromised, right? Yep. So I got there, and he's like, "Okay, I'm, I was maybe I don't know, twelve inches from doing a full split." He's like, "John, do this and do that, and try this, and you'll get the splits today." And Brian, it, it happened just like that. He unlocked me, and it was like really freaking magic. He's like, "Oh, comrade, if you like that, you should try kettlebells." And this is right at the beginning of the the kettlebell movement. So I got in at the ground floor because what he taught me blew me away. Wow, that's crazy. Um, Yeah. And so all that stuff that I traveled around trying to piece together bits and pieces here and there and in everywhere and Pavel's stuff, I've, I took and I, I I systemized it and we made this system called flexible steel. And the premise of flexible steel is you don't want to be so flexible that you're weak. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone knows the guy that's, you know, being thin and he can tie himself into knots, but he can't control his own body weight. He's weak. And on the other hand, you don't want to be the guy that's so strong. You think of the power lifter that can deadlift a house, mm-hmm. but he pulls his hamstring when he uh, ties his shoes. You know, we don't want to be that guy either. Right. We want to be, we want to be this perfect blend of strong and flexible at the same time. And that's what flexible steel is. Wow. And let me tell you, Brian, think about how much fun your martial arts would be if if flexibility wasn't an issue for you at all. If you could effortlessly do high kicks, you could effortlessly do, you know, high side kicks without needing to think about it. It just happens. Think about how much more enjoyment that would bring instead of having to fight your own body all the time. And when I say you, I don't mean you personally, but I mean, you know, the average person. And it it is, it's just life-changing for people. So then how old were you when you first achieved the splits? (laughs) 40. 
Wow. Yeah, 40. <laughs> that's good to know because, I mean, a lot of people think if you can't, if you don't pull it off when you're younger, you'll never do it. So that's actually really cool. So how long did it take for this to take off then? Obviously, once you got the program together and, and published the book, how long before it really picked? I mean, obviously now you're, so as we talked before we started recording, you're, you travel around the world and, and teach this stuff and how long did it take for it to really pick up some steam? Well, once once I did the kettlebell certification with Pavel, as I said, he was doing all of his certs in St. Paul at the time. So anyone that wanted to learn kettlebells from all over the world would have to fly in and um, take them there. That's not the case anymore. We've expanded and we travel now, but before it was always happening there. And so there was always a need for someone to assist. And that's how I really got my education through Pavel's methods was I always volunteered to assist at these certifications. So I've been teaching with him a long, long time and kind of learning by osmosis, right? I became one of 13 people that are qualified to certify instructors all over the world. There's 13 of us. We call the, the, the organization, Pavel's organization is called Strong First. And so there's 13 master instructors with Strong First at the time being. And so I'm in charge of anything that happens with kettlebells in South Korea, Taiwan, mainland China, Japan, um, in the United States, my territory is New York City, Chicago, Las Vegas. And then also I have the license for all of Canada. In addition to that, we um, I also teach in Europe it, it, quite a bit, Czech Republic, um, Poland. Poland's a real strong point for us. Um, France, Italy, and um, Israel. So through that kettlebell connection, we also introduced the flexible steel stuff going, and it just it took off because it, it works, and it works right now. That's the cool thing about it. Would you like to experience some of it, Brian? Oh, definitely. Okay, let's do an experiment, and your listeners can do this as well. Okay. All right. What I want you to do is just stand up. I'm assuming you're sitting at your desk right now, but stand up. Okay. And there's two rules. And for the listeners out there following along, you can do this as well. You need to keep your, just stand shoulder width apart and you need to keep your feet planted. They can't move. And you need to keep your knees locked. So feet planted, knees locked. And now what I want you to do without moving your feet or bending your knees is I want you to rotate to your right as far as possible. And when you get as far as you can possibly rotate, just pick out a landmark with your eyes at your furthest possible point. And that's going to be our baseline. And then come on back and let me know when you're ready. Okay. I'm ready. So, okay. So his feet were still, his knees were locked. He rotated to his right as far as he could. And he picked out a baseline of his maximal rotation. We're going to do that same thing two more times. You're not going to move any faster or any slower than what you did before, but I'm going to give you a few things to focus on this time. Okay. So you're going to turn again. The feet can't move. The knees can't unlock. But this time, when you're turning to the right, I want you to drive your left heel through the floor as far as or as hard as you possibly can. Like leave a footprint in the floor. In addition to that, as you're turning, I want you to cramp your left glute. So you're going to contract your left glute as hard as you possibly can. And thirdly, if you take your fingers and put them right on the crest of your left hip, kind of where your belt would be, and you move one finger down your leg and one finger up your your body, side of your body, you're going to imagine that telescoping and getting longer and longer and longer. And the further you rotate, the more that's going to lengthen. So let's recap for the listeners. Feet stay still, knees stay locked. You're rotating to the right, no faster or slower than you did before, but you're driving your left heel through the floor. You're contracting your left glute to the point where it almost cramps, and you're telescoping that hip area. So try this and pick out your new landmark. Okay, that was cool. 
Okay. That's <laughs> step one. Wow. Now we're going to do the same thing one more time. Okay. All right. So you're going to do all three things again. You're driving your heel through the ground. You're contracting your left glute. You're telescoping that hip. But now I want you to imagine that there's a collar on your neck. And I have a chain hooked to that collar that goes up over the rafter of the building and comes back down to me. So when I pull it, you're being pulled into traction. So you're being pulled in skyward. And that's making space between each individual vertebrae. Okay, so we have this traction visualization going on. Then, this gets weird, but just hang with me. As you're rotating, in your mind, I want you to rotate each individual vertebrae, starting at your tailbone and working your way up to the crown of your head. Finally, when you get as far as you possibly can rotate, I want you to imagine that your, your spinal cord is sticking out of the top of your head, and I want you to rotate seven or eight more virtual vertebrae. So let me recap this real quick and I'll have you guys try it one more time. You're not turning any faster or slower than before, but you're driving your heel through the ground. You're contracting your left glute, your glute, you're telescoping your hip. You are pulling yourself up into traction, which is making space between each vertebrae. Sequentially rotate the vertebrae starting at the tailbone, working your way up the spine. When you get as far as you possibly can, rotate those virtual vertebrae above your head. So hit this brine and um, let me know what happens. That was definitely quite a bit further. <laughs> wow. How many degrees do you think you incre increased your rotational ability? Yeah, I got to look at my landmarks I picked out. Probably 15, the, 15 to 17 degrees easily. 15 to 17 degrees instantly. Yeah. Instantly and easily. Wow. You said something really cool there, easily. <laughs> um, in flexible steel, we call this move the exorcist. Okay. And what it is, is it is, um, you remember the old movie where she spun her head out completely <laughs> oh, around? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. What it is, is I'm teaching you to move using something that we call the three S's of movement. The three S's. S number one stands for strength. You don't just yield to gravity, but you use strength to pull yourself into position. S number two stands for make space. Instead of trying to force movement from one joint or another, we're trying to create space inside your body so things slide better. And finally, S3 stands for spread, and we say spread the load. So we diffuse the load through the whole body. So if we pick up a little bit of movement down by the ankle, then down by the knee, and down by the opposite hip, as we work our way up through the body, all those little bitty improvements manifest themselves in extra shoulder mobility if we were doing shoulder stuff. So the three S's are pretty cool, and they're appropriate whether you're moving at speed, whether you're loaded like under a, under a barbell or a weight or whether you're performing a kick or a split. And so it's just kind of a little teaser about what flexible steel is. So what we would do then if you came to a, a certification, you'd work with us for a 10 hour day and we'd give you 10 hours of these wow. tips. And okay. you come out of there like, you know, a new machine, your software has been upgraded and that's the really cool thing. So then what kind of feedback have you had from martial artists going through this 10 hour program? Like the, oh, they love the, it. Yeah. Like they what? love it. Like I said, imagine, just imagine if you take the, the, the effort out of your, your, your go-to moves, you know, let's say if you're a Taekwondo person, an mm -hmm. ax kick or a, a roundhouse or a backspin, we take the effort away from that and make it effortless. You don't have to fight your own body. You're increasing your power. You're increasing your stamina, your endurance without actually improving your cardiovascular, you know, capacities. 
just by getting yourself out of your own way. And it's really awesome. We do the same thing for strength, by the way. Okay. We have uh, one of our leaders in Toronto, Canada named Granville Mares. Super awesome guy. He's a monster though. He's like the Hulk. He was playing for the Canadian Professional Football League. This guy's this guy's just incredibly strong. So what we had Granville do is we had him get a baseline of his strength. And for Granville, that's that's quite a bit. He holds six six or seven North American powerlifting records. Mm-hmm. You know the guys the guys just incredible. So we gave him a forty eight kilogram kettlebell because that was the heaviest one we had around there. That's one hundred and six pounds, and he strictly pressed that for thirteen reps which most people struggle to do one. Wow. We put Granville through our shoulder program, which took, you know, just working with him one-on-one, it took all of three minutes to do. And then we had him retest his max press. Now you would think if you just pressed 106 pound kettlebell for 13 reps, the second time you went to do it, your, your um, repetitions would go down because you're tired. But his retest, he was able to get 17 presses. So he went from 13 or 14 to 17 presses just by um, giving him a little bit extra mobility, which in turn took that internal resistance away from him, which theoretically or, or, or virtually made the kettlebell feel lighter. You know, if you have 10 pounds of internal resistance to get your arm vertical and you take that away, well, your kettlebell now feels like it weighs 10 pounds less. So not only for flexibility and mobility, but also for strength, this works really well. Okay. So curious with you then, and uh, did you see a drastic improvement in your power for like your kicks and stuff? Cause you, you were always known for your power. Oh yeah. And the thing is, is you can hit harder longer Okay, because the, you don't have to use as much effort. Cause one of my, <laughs> I don't know if it's really a good memory, but uh, the summer I was training with you, I was holding a target. I think it was a green belt or a blue belt. I was holding a target for you and you were demonstrating in the air turning sidekick. I, I stupidly volunteered to hold the target and <laughs> you're, you're in the, in the air. Yeah. I think it was in the air turning psychic. And you, I think someone said that saw it picked me up off the ground by about two feet and threw me back about six feet. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you, you had plenty of power back then already. So I can't imagine more power. <laughs> yeah. What, what we're doing is we're reverse engineering what the, the best in the world do naturally, you know, Okay. If you're lucky enough to have those genes and just that skill, that's really cool. But how can you take an average person and teach them to do what this, this expert's doing? You have to reverse engineer what they're doing. Right. And that's kind of what we're doing with flexible steel, with trembling shock, and definitely the, all the strong first stuff. I mean, it, it's, it's, I get goosebumps talking about it because we've changed so many lives for the better. So then I'm assuming you know, the students at your school kind of get uh... – are they like the guinea pigs when you're working through a lot of this stuff and they get a lot of this free stuff in class? Yeah. 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 <laughs> nice. They're that's cool. The, the poor people. <laughs> <laughs> that's good though. That's good. No. And I, I got a quick mention that the, the two books I mentioned, see so the, the first one is called flexible steel and the second one is called trembling shock. And I will definitely post links for those in my website. And I believe there's a, an instructional DVD also, right? For Yeah. So flexible steel was the first book that I wrote. And it's just a, a broad outline of what we're doing with flexible steel. Since then, we've put together the instructor certification. And we have instructors, certified instructors worldwide. I mean, if you go on flexiblesteel.com and go to instructor, find an instructor, you'll see that we're in every corner of the globe, which is really cool. Trembling Shock is a book on how to take someone that's brand new to martial arts and brand new to strength training 
and take that brand new student and just work with him in an intelligent system until he's very proficient. That's the first part of the book. The second part of the book are is small tips and tricks to make you hit harder, which is what trembling shock is, you know, hitting someone so hard that it causes body displacement. Right. And we've used this kind of the same thing that we use in flexible steel, but we use the opposite kind of the other side of the coin to make you develop um, more power in your strikes. And we, it's the same thing, man. You could take a, a, a boxer. Like we work with a few professional boxers. I worked with one in South Africa this weekend and um, it was a female boxer. She's a Southpaw and she hit a force plate and I don't remember what her exact number is, but let's just say a thousand uh, PSI. We did a few things with her and had her restrike, and we doubled her right cross or her left cross. She was a wow. southpaw. Now that's her go-to money-making punch, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's talking about it's it's just crazy because it sounds too good to be true. And I was the same way right. when I saw the stuff Pablo was putting out, but it, it definitely works. That's cool. No, it definitely great. works. I know I have I have both of the books. I, I did uh, I did go through some of the stuff on the flexible steel one. So some of that stuff you had me do looked familiar. And I need to I need to make it a little more of a daily thing to work on that. But uh, and I have I haven't read the trembling shock one yet, but I do have it in front of me. So that's oh, nice. you'll enjoy that. Cool. You'll probably enjoy that even more. Okay. The you mentioned the DVD. It's not yeah. really a DVD. It was designed as a DVD, but since then nobody uses DVDs anymore. So <laughs> it's a downloadable program. Okay. So you can download it. You can burn your own DVD. It, it travels on your stuff. But um, we shot that in Italy, and it's a pretty cool program. It's four follow along programs that you can just put on your, your monitor or, you know, transmit to your TV and just follow along with us. So does that go with the book or is that? No, it's a completely separate thing. It's a little more in depth in the book. Okay, cool. And then our instructor manuals really, you know, that's really where the gold is. Okay. Very cool. Nice. Well, like I said, I'll definitely put links for all that stuff on here. Um, so kind of back, back to the martial arts things, a a few things I wanted to ask you, obviously you've been an instructor for a long time. You've been teaching a long Mm -hmm. time. Um, just in general, if someone approaches you and just asks you for tips, Hey, I'm thinking of getting my kids involved in martial arts, or I'm thinking of joining myself. What are some tips and advice you give them on like what to look for in a school, what to look for in an instructor? Well, you need to go and take a class or at least watch maybe even better to watch how they interact with the students. You want an instructor that's intelligent. You want an instructor that's kind and patient. Okay. You don't want the bad instructor from the karate kid. (laughs) You know, you need to have someone. Yeah. Right. (laughs) It was probably me. (laughs) No, no. You You know who it is, but it wasn't you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Anyway, um, you want to go to the place that's that, you know, acts like a, acts like a professional, a professional school of martial arts. And really, if you see someone and you're not unwilling or not able to think that you would trust this person to teach your grandmother, you should probably not go, you know, enroll in their school. So what are your thoughts now? Uh, this is one that, you know, a year ago, most people probably wouldn't have thought of now, but obviously with the, the way the world's changed in the last year. So let's say someone lives in a town where there's no martial arts schools. What are your thoughts on, you know, online training and virtual training for martial arts? Obviously, nothing's going to beat the real thing and one-on-one instruction, but kind of your thoughts on that. It's kind of cool in a way because you have access through the internet and through Zoom to some of the top martial artists in the world who you'd never be able to go train with, you know, unless you had an unlimited budget. And so there's lots of good resources out there. Yeah, you need live sparring and things like that. But once you know one system, it's really easy to learn a whole bunch more 
you know, because you kind of know what a front kick is. You know what a side kick is. I'm thinking in my mind right now, the KMG guys, they have great online work. They're the Krav Maga guys. Yep. One of my friends is the head of that, EL. And um, it's fantastic. And for the average person, that, that crop stuff's pretty easy to learn because it was designed, you know, to take a soldier from being, you know, not very proficient to being very proficient in a short amount of time without needing to, you know, they're still good athletes, but you don't have to be able to do jump spinning kicks, right. you know, to make this effective. It's a very effective uh, model for self-defense. So if you're looking for self-defense and you're looking for like a home study system or in, in person, if you can find one, then KMG guys are really good. Okay, nice. And then, so in obviously your, your decades of martial arts, is there one or two martial artists that you look up to or maybe consider a hero in the world of martial arts? Maybe someone you either got to train with or maybe you never have, but you know, really inspire you as a martial artist? Yeah, there is, there is um, several. It's hard to, hard to pinpoint one exactly. Pick, um, pick a couple if you want. That's fine. As many as you want to name. <laughs> Hanwan Lee has always been a good friend of mine and been very supportive. Um, and Patrice Remark. And he's, he's been fantastic. He's been a, a, an idol, if you will, of mine. Um, of course, my own instructor that brought me up as a, as a puppy. Grandmaster Yoon. And then there's a our swords swords instructor in South Korea, a man named Chanju Jung, is just incredibly awesome too with what he's doing. And that guy's like the kindest, nicest little teddy bear looking person that you'd ever meet. And he's also one of the deadliest pre people you'd ever meet. Okay. <laughs> nice. Very awesome. My good friend and, and colleague that I travel with a lot is the editor of Black Belt Magazine, Dr. Mark Chang. Really? And okay. that guy's, yeah, if you want to interview somebody and you need a connection, he's a good one to talk to because he's well-versed in pretty much everything. He's one of um, Danny Inansato's students and just an, an incredible wealth of knowledge there with Mark. I've actually been trying to find a way to reach him, so I might have to chat with you when we're done here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah he's cool. Nice. That's a great connection for you. So what are your thoughts on on mixed martial arts and the UFC and everything? Obviously, that's exploded over the last you know 27 years. What are your thoughts on that and, and how you think it fits into the world of martial arts? And are you a fan? I am. I am a fan. And I like, as you said, I like to incorporate several different things in our martial arts that we're doing. I like it that way. I like it as a sport. I'm disappointed in the kind of I don't how do I put it not really the tough guy attitude but the gangster attitude of some of the fighters yeah you know no other sport do and I'm not a prude but there's no other professional sport that I can think of out there where the people are using the f word and, and you know that type of thing so yeah I'm a fan in fact we're working um next month in Las Vegas at Syndicate MMA and we're doing a kettlebell certification there. So, and those guys are great, but um, I think the people that are, are coming off with this, this, this fall language are giving kind of a black eye to the, to the art of martial arts. Right. You know, what parent wants their kid to talk like that? It's a good point. Just Athletically. Were, they're yeah. awesome. Oh yeah. Yeah. So as much as you were into competition when you, when you were younger and stuff, if, if UFC would have been as big then, and MMA as big then it is as now. Do you think that's something you would have tried? Oh, I could have been a contender, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> of course, yeah. that would have been right up my alley. Nice, nice. That's, I was just curious. That's some a lot of people. It's it's such a mix. I mean, it's more and more now. I think more people are coming around to it. But I remember even just 
you know, 10 years ago, I used to judge it. I judged over a thousand pro MMA fights. And, and mm-hmm. I remember talking to traditional instructors and you know, even 10 years ago, I hate it. I hate it. It's stupid. It's not martial arts. And, and now a lot of those same guys I see at Buffalo Wild Wings watching them. So it's, I think people uh, are coming around. Other than that gangster type attitude, it's awesome. You know, and you know, like um, there's several of them that aren't like that and that's good. You know, that's, that's, that, that is incredible. But yeah, I mean, what, what great athletes, it's a, it's an awesome sport. Um, I'm all for it. I just wish they'd clean things up a little bit, you know, with it's, it kind of, it reminds me of all-star wrestling a little bit, you know, the yeah. professional wrestling, the the drama. Yeah. I think I remember the first time I really witnessed it really badly was I, I think um, Brock Lesnar after one of his wins, just the, the interview he did in the cage afterwards, just every other word was an F bomb and, it, you know, talking about you know stuff that should not be talked about <laughs> in front of crowds. Oh, so, and you can be a yeah. showman. You can oh, be a yeah. showman without that. I mean, think about uh, Muhammad Ali. I mean, what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he was a showman, but he didn't have to resort to the, you know, the, the bad um, gangster style. Yeah, it's a good it's a good point. So, so in all your years of martial arts, is there a one or two martial arts philosophies that you've learned that are really important to you and really true to you? I've always been a big believer just never giving up, you know, no matter what, never giving up. And the other thing is the other thing that's really helped me. And I give this advice to my students all the time. When someone fails a test or fails, doesn't achieve what they want to do. You know, I've, I've taken a lot of tests over the years and I've failed my share of tests too, or lost my, you know, lost my share of matches. And there's two different ways to approach a loss or a failure. One is, you know, a loser's way. Oh, I was cheated. That guy, the judge didn't like me. Um, I didn't get that break because the boards were green or the guy didn't hold them right. You know, there's all these different excuses you can come up, up with. And that's a losing attitude. Anytime I failed something, I've went away from it vowing to become the expert at that particular move or that particular break or that particular thing. I'm going to go and I'm going to study that and I'm going to become the expert of that. And what I've, what I'm doing in essence, is taking a weakness and turning it into a new strength. And Brian, if you can do that, you're unstoppable. If you can take a, your weakness and you turn that and make that your new strength. I, I remember we had to do a twin foot double punch and I got the right kick, the left kick and the left punch. And the next time, the opposite. And then the third time, uh, it seemed like I missed a kick, got both punches in one foot. I went away from that and came back after about six months of study and it was my favorite break. So if you turn your weakness into your your strength, your best skill, you're going to be unstoppable. And it doesn't matter if it's in martial arts, if it's in life, it's in business. If you have that attitude, nothing can get in your way. Nothing can stop you. Nice. That's a great attitude. So do you have a, other than one that you've written, do you have a favorite martial arts book? There's a bunch of them I love to read. Mm-hmm. Um the one that comes to my mind might surprise you, but it's called Zen in the Martial Arts. Oh, Joe Hyams. And, <laughs> you're, yes. You're about the sixth or seventh interview that's mentioned that. That's a phenomenal book. That is. That is. That's my favorite one. Cool. Um, no, that's, that's You can't go wrong with that That one. And that one, I think, in Book of Five Rings are, have been the two most answers I've gotten with that question. So. <laughs> yeah, and the Art of War and, and all those are great, but the Zen in the Martial Arts, it's an easy, fast read. But there's lots of gems in there. Yeah. I, I actually interviewed someone who was good friends with Joe Hyams. And, and one thing he mentioned about that book, he said the the one thing different about that book compared to other martial arts books is that it it crossed over. It crossed over to, you know, most books come out, it's for one style, one style. One, and he said every martial artist 
read that book at one point and loved that book, and that's why it was a bestseller. And everyone looked still to this day, it still <laughs> sells a ton, even after you. Isn't you know, that isn't that incredible? Yeah, it is. It's crazy. So, and kind of a last uh, two part kind of fun question: uh, favorite martial arts TV show and or favorite martial arts movie? I kind of like the hokey kung fu movies where their lips don't quite match. You know the the <laughs> words and. There's two out there that not too many people have seen. That's just because I'm so old. Mm-hmm. James Ryan. Do you remember him? That name sounds familiar. The actor James Ryan. He's a JKA guy, a, a um, Shotokan guy yep. from South Africa. And he made two movies back in the 60s called Kill or Be Killed. And then the sequel was Kill and Kill Again. Yep. Okay. Horrible titles, right? But <laughs> yeah. the, the action's awesome. And those are my two favorite ones. So if your listeners haven't seen those, I'm sure they can find them somewhere. They're, you know, I watched Jaws the other day. And when Jaws first came out, I don't think I took a bath for a month. It was too scary to go in the water, right? <laughs> yep. But you watch Jaws nowadays and it's almost laughable. It was so, you know, hokey. Right. These are kind of like that, but the martial arts is great in it. So James Ryan, I don't even think he might, he might not even been an actual martial artist. He might've been a gymnast, but kill and kill again and kill and kill or be killed those are my top two okay and what about a tv series or martial arts tv series you enjoy oh i know you mentioned you mentioned kung fu at the beginning but is there another one maybe that if if you're home and you and you see it on a channel and reruns you'll watch it i'd probably have to go back to the kung fu the original kung fu movies yeah our television series just because i can't think of any other ones right now (laughs) have you watched uh, the new cobra kai I always got to ask that one. No, I haven't. <laughs> okay. I haven't. Okay. If you, if you liked the, the original Karate Kid movies, I think you would really enjoy Cobra Kai. <laughs> I'll check it out. It's, I definitely it's, will. It's, it's a lot of fun. And I thought of one other thing I wanted to mention when I, I mentioned before I got to see your, I think it was your third degree test with Grandmaster Yun down at your gym in Brainerd. And I, I, I remember this vividly because I've one of, one of my favorite techniques in Taekwondo and if people aren't in Taekwondo, they won't, you know, this won't make a lot of sense to them, but we have a, a technique called 21 movement. It's a series of 21 moves and you have to do it in a certain amount of time. And you are one of only three people that I saw pull it off in seven seconds. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> For your third degree test, you got that. And I remember because the fastest I had ever done it, I think at the time was like either nine or 10. Um, I think you had to do it like, I think we had to do it in 10 or 12 seconds for our green belt. And I think for black belt, we have to do it in less than 10 or something like that. But you pulled it off. I've seen three people do that. It was you, another black belt and a green belt that I saw do it in seven seconds. And that's one thing I remember vividly about your test. God bless the green belt, huh? I know. Yeah. It was, it was, yeah. I remember him. It was uh, from my gym up here in, in, in Fargo was a green belt named Mr. Hui, H-U-I. And it was just He's fast. Yeah. It was for his green belt. It was just amazing. I'm like, how fast did you do that in? <laughs> Yeah. You know, Brian, I think that's that's just a matter, at least in, my, in you know, when I did it or when speaking for myself, mm-hmm. it's a matter of getting smooth at something. Right. You know, if you get smooth at it, it gets fast. And instead of trying to, for, for your listeners out there that are working on trying to get faster at something, sometimes it's better to slow down and actually become smooth at it because that will increase your speed. That if you force true. it, it just gets worse. Yeah, that is true. Because I know so when you just try to do it faster, it looked really sloppy. But when you mm-hmm. slow down and get the moves down, next time you do it, you're usually faster anyway. So that, that's, uh, that's a great point. Yeah, sometimes you have to slow down to get fast. It's good, good, cool. Well, John, I just want to thank you for taking the time to do this. It's been, like I said, it's been a long time coming. I'm glad we finally got to do it. And I, like I said, I'll put links to your websites and your books and whatnot in the uh, show notes so we can promote those for people and people can check them out. And I'm definitely going to go back and, and reread the whole Flexible Steel book. I'm probably going to order that uh, 
online training that because that's one thing that's for I've, I've, martial arts for 36 years I've, I've never been i mean I, I can kick head high but i can't kick head high with power i've never had the flexibility i've wanted and now that i know i can do it after the age of 40 i'm going to give it a shot so oh definitely definitely it, it just makes your practice so much more enjoyable too like i said well you don't have to fight yourself to do the techniques you know awesome the that program you'll like it's kind of fun um it's very international we filmed it in italy Actually, actually, the book, Trembling Shock, we shot on location in Italy at the Coliseum because we kind of wanted to liken it to Return of the Dragon, right, where he fights Chuck Norris in, yep. the, in the Coliseum. Nice. So that was all shot on location. And Trembling Shock was shot in Italy, too, with um, three of our international instructors. So we had uh, a guy from Canada there. We had a lady that's just incredible, Angelika Stefanska from Poland, and then a local Italian instructor that uh, is with us, Laura Caligari. So it's it's pretty cool international team there in that DVD. Yeah, next time you go to Italy, I'll have to have to get a hold of you because I got a, a friend who's a martial artist in Rome. So okay, cool. Yeah, it'd be fun. But uh, once again, thank you for your time, and then we will uh, be in touch when the episode is released. Super, it was great talking with you, Brian. I had a good time. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you will join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.